Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. We're glad you're with us. My name is Don Payne, and I'm glad to be joined this week by my colleague, Dr. Angie Ward, who is the assistant director of our Doctor of Ministry program. Angie, yes, good to have hello. you back. Yeah, good to be back in this little room with you. Yeah, it really is um, It really is kind of a special room. It's, it's special. As ugly as it is, but yeah. it, it does the job. Uh, well, anyway, uh, good to have Angie here. She's going to... Uh, join us in interacting with this week's guest, and let me set that up this way. At the core of what we do as a seminary, you'll find a commitment to developing people, uh, and even beyond that, to developing people who will develop people, develop leaders. And that, in one way or another, has animated and shaped our commitment to mentoring, for example, uh, putting that at the heart of our curriculum, a few over a few over two decades ago, and that gets expressed for us in various partnerships we've forged through the years. So, developing people that can sound and developing leaders that can sound like a kind of a catchy slogan. It's a familiar phrase, but it's really far more involved and and actually far more challenging than it might sound, uh, because anybody who has a vision for the next generation of God's redemptive work knows that developing leaders is where the action is. And and I think you'll want to learn as much as possible about what it looks like to build people who can navigate the complexities of this broken world with kind of a gospel faithfulness, with courage and with savvy. So uh, we're glad, uh, really honored this week, to have a conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Urio. Uh, Elizabeth is the Senior Vice President of the Global Leadership Office for Compassion International, uh, an organization we've uh, been delighted to do a little bit of work with over the years. And Elizabeth has a vast background in uh, leadership development, and we really want to draw on her experience, her expertise. Let me tell you just a little bit about her, though she can fill in blanks and tell you more. Elizabeth was born in Tanzania, I think grew up though, in Nigeria. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and and just brings a lot of multicultural insight uh, into this business of developing people, developing leaders. She is extremely well-versed in innovation, um, which led her, actually, to start a consulting firm in Tanzania. And as I mentioned, she's now the head of the Global Leadership Office at Compassion International. Elizabeth has a uh, a Bachelor of Science in Food for Business and Industry from Marymount College in New York. She has an MS and a PhD in Grain Science and Industry from Kansas State and an MBA from the University of Chicago. So she has uh, read about things and talked about things that I did not even know existed. Mm-hmm. And right. um, and she knows words that I, I don't know as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, anyway, welcome to Engage 360. Thank you very much, Dr. Payne and Dr. Ward. I I am very uh, pleased to be here, and it's quite an honor and quite humbling. Would you tell us first uh, maybe a little bit about your background and then your your work with Compassion and how you came into that? Yeah, well, thank you for that question. So a little bit about my background. Um, I think it bears repeating that I was born in Tanzania, um, and I, I grew up during uh, in the 70s during the time when Idi Amin was waging war in Uganda and then um, came into Tanzania 
and uh, was waging war with us. So my early childhood memories are really shaped by, you know, living in a country at war. And the consequences of that were felt by me as a child through food. Um, because you hear parents and adults talking about, you know, what should we, do, what, what should we, how should, what should we, excuse me, what, how, what, what should we feed the children? How should we keep the children safe? You know, as the country is um, being decimated by war, you know, the question also becomes, how are we going to create a future for them, given that the economy is crushed? So that led to my father and mother moving from Tanzania to Nigeria, where my father worked in agriculture. And he pointed out to us, you know, dinner conversations were around post-harvest storage and handling, <laughs> a value wow. addition, right? Yeah, I the can't say that. I don't think my family ever talked about that around dinner. That yeah, we, we talked about we talked about parasites and, you, you know, all kinds of fascinating things. But the point was, my, my, my father... Uh, you know, was a uh, was in agriculture. My mother, an educator, all college college uh, educated, and they pointed the fact out the fact that most most of the poor farmers do not have an issue really with production. Right? They can produce not efficiently, but they can produce. The challenge is access to market. The challenge is access to capital, and the challenge is uh, post harvest storage and handling. I mean, you think about going mm. to a going to a farmer's market here in the US, you see this beautiful produce, but what does the farmer do at the end of the day with that produce? Yeah, I guess it either spoils or they Yeah, he throws it, or, it away. Throw it away, yeah. They throw it away, right? For many farmers here, you know, farmer's market is not their primary source of revenue or income, but for many farmers around the world, that is their income. Mm. And so mm. they just see their crop rotting and they get poorer every year because they're not even able to make enough money often to pay for the seeds and the fertilizers that they borrowed in order to produce that crop. So they get cons they get progressively poorer, right? Mm -hmm. So as a result, my dream was then, okay, I do not want to go into agriculture, the science and practices of raising crop. The issue is we don't know what to do with the crop after we harvest it. Okay. Right. And that's why I did my, I chose the degrees I did. I went to Kansas State and uh, did my master's and PhD there. Wonderful institution, one I would highly recommend. And then after that, you know, my father told me, <laughs> it's great you have a lot of theory, but you haven't put anything into practice. Hmm. So go get a job and learn a few things. So I ended up with uh, working with Kellogg's in Battle Creek, Michigan. And they really had an, an, an immense privilege of, taking that science and putting into practice. Now, was I dealing with the hungry? No, but I was learning the, you know, putting into practice post-harvest storage and handling in value addition, right? How do you take crops, process them, make them more stable so that you can make these cool products that we can buy on the grocery shelf mm -hmm. year round, right? Mm -hmm. so, so I spent 20, about 18 years working with Kellogg's and then, I mean, between Kellogg's and Cargill, I worked with them for about 18 years. Um, and during that time, my desire has always been to work with the poor and to use the skills and experiences God has given me to help them move up the value chain, right, um, from surviving to thriving, right? And so my cry to God had always been, how can I use my skills in international development? And uh, a couple of years ago, four years ago, a, a role opened up at Compassion. I saw it on Google. I applied, and the rest is history. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Huh. So what? tell us a little bit about the specific focus of your role with Compassion. Yeah, the specific role, the specific focus of my role with Compassion is to work with leaders across the organization, the ministry, to guide uh, enterprise strategic planning, project management, right? So once we have identified our strategy, what are the initiatives, the work that we need to do in order to make that strategy come to pass? So portfolio and project management. I also have responsibility for global corporate communication and public relations. So sharing key messages with our staff around the world, you know, 3,000 staff, 25 countries. You can only imagine the number of languages and cultures involved in that. So how do we communicate to keep everybody aligned as much as possible, especially aligned in terms of the direction that we are taking from a strategy perspective? And public relations, incidents, response, things come up all the time. And how do we diffuse them? How do we also step into reputation management to tell the compassion story? Because it is an incredible story that very few people actually know about. Mm. And then the last part is major uh, corporate meetings and events and uh, the, the president's office. Mm. Well, just parenthetically, my wife and I are privileged to support a couple of compassion kids and are just so deeply grateful for for what you do on the ground uh, mm. with uh, with those children. And it's been a real honor to um, to be involved in that with you guys. And then to learn at the at the more macro level, all the different things you're you're involved in. Yes, Compassion has been around for over, I want to say, 67 years mm-hmm. plus, and it is a, it's a, it's almost like a secret. I mean, I only, I had, I was very aware of World Vision, had been, you know, mm-hmm. aware of them for mm-hmm. 20 some years before I ran across Compassion, and I, I just ran into them on online randomly, and as I started to learn more about how we do holistic child development through the local church. Uh, how we build relationships, how we connect children with individual supporters like yourself or myself uh, or you, uh, Dr. Ward, and building that relationship and walking alongside them as they go through, as they do life um, from a very young age and oftentimes all the way until they're adults, right? Young adults, you know, 18 or 18 plus. It is, it's amazing. You know, and I wish more people knew about how compassion worked what compassion does and could join in this fight against poverty because it is evil. Mm-hmm. Wow. I want to ask uh, about your experience going from corporate world to compassion to this global, you know, the, both global entities, but uh, mm-hmm. going to mission. Um, what changes or did you have to make any changes in your leadership? What was different in those environments? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Dr. Ward. And I think that... Um, you need to the, the changes one needs to make is, um, you know, understanding the understanding the context in which you operate. Right. Right. It doesn't matter whether you know you're, that is true whether you're in for for profit or NGOs. So that was a change I needed to make, and I was very privileged to work with uh, a gentleman who was one of the founding fathers of Compassion, Mark Yaden. Hmm. I reported into him in Global Program, and he always used to tell me, Elizabeth, until you understand context, you're not going to be of much use to us. Hmm. So I, he, he gave me space to learn and ask a lot of questions. And as a scientist, we're notorious for asking questions and more questions, and you know why, why, why. And so that's one thing I think you may you need to make a. A concerted effort to know that, you know, um, 
for pro- non nonprofits like these are very complex. Working in 25 countries, working with the poor, working with a church that is not well resourced, mm-hmm. presents many challenges. So be- taking a learning posture is key. That that I would say was number one. Um, for me as an African, I also had to and have continued to have to be humbled by the Lord because there's a default that says, well, I, I'm from Tanzania, I'm from Nigeria, I know poverty, I understand it, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you don't. Huh. <laughs> so so you have to also take this posture of learning even beyond to a personal level to say, I need to ask more questions as opposed to make inferences because I don't understand what the men and women living in this context are going through. Right. Yeah. And be very quick. This is one thing I learned at University of Chicago. Be very quick to say, I do not know. I will look it up. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, which is humbling. And then the, the third thing I would say in terms of leadership, whether you're leading in a for-profit or you're leading in a non-profit, the leadership principles that a good leader ex- exhibits are the same. So what to you you know and um and this is a question i'm always talking about with my students as i'm teaching leadership what makes someone you talked about you know the principles for good leadership are the same what makes someone a christian leader maybe my answer may be somewhat controversial i i think that we are a christian is a believer a child you know a person who has professed uh faith in jesus christ and has um given their lives over to him right and we are whole beings. We cannot bifurcate ourselves. Right. Right. I, I served in corporate America for much longer than I have served in, in, a, in a faith-based nonprofit. Right. But I am to be constant. God is calling me to be true and constant, whether I am in corporate America, secular setting, or I am in a faith-based organization. So I want to I want to make that clear. I think. Our Christianity is part of our identity, whether regardless of where we are. Yeah. Okay. And we have to be. We're called Christians. Are called to be bold, not necessarily bold in their rhetoric, because sometimes that can be divisive. You know, the appropriate places to be bold, but we're supposed to be loving. We, we people. The Bible says they will know us by our love for one another. So, so I think that's a characteristic that a leader, a Christian leader, has to demonstrate regardless of where they serve. I think a Christian leader has to lean heavily on the word of God and and really test the word and say, how do I respond to these various situations, right? And use the word of God to guide them. I think that a, a, a Christian leader, regardless of where they serve, really need to have that personal relationship and testimony with God, mm-hmm. right? Not the testimony that was your mother's or your father's or your grandmother's. You need to know that he is he is the God, the same God of the of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac. He's the same because they are, they, he's a miracle-working God, and you have to have those uh, memorials that you've had with him because when you, as a leader, you will run into situations where you are tested and you have to make some tough decisions. And the question is, do you believe he is who he says he is, and are you going to stand and do what he would have you do, or you're going to cave because you're not so sure. Yeah, you lack that confidence, mm-hmm. that assurance, right? So on top of that, I think Christ, good Christian leaders praying for our staff, right? Um, if they're not believers, obviously you have to use wisdom in how you pray for them, right? Because you don't want to create, you don't want to alienate them because the work of the salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You need to 
lead with the servant's heart, heart right? Jesus washed the feet of the his disciples. I mean, you can only imagine how disgusting those feet looked, but he did it, <laughs> right? I mean, they didn't have paved roads, yeah. right? They didn't have internal plumbing. So imagine what people stepped into, but he washed those feet. So are we willing to serve, to go to that extent to serve? Are we willing to be good listeners, to really listen and have that information that we have gleaned become obvious that we have really understood because it's shaping how we approach different people, right? And I think the other thing with good leaders is the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? I heard somewhere that said every human being on this earth is on the autism spectrum somewhere, Mm. (laughs) right? So we all have our quirks, right? But the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Are we going to celebrate people's quirks and people's individuality or are we going to as leaders try to force them to fit a mold Mm -hmm. right because god doesn't make mistakes in how he creates his children yeah 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 hey i have one more follow-up question and it's about kind of your personal journey you know we're talking about leadership here you're a recognized leader you know you've had all these leadership roles when in your journey did you realize or somebody first say that you are a leader or you had this realization like that's that's what you are and that's what you do and that's, who, you know, who you are and what you bring? Yeah, that's a great question, um, Dr. Ward. I, it was actually when I was at Kellogg's. I think I had been there three or four years. And I remember vividly I was uh, in research. Uh, I was I was actually still an individual contributor, a scientist. And we were in the pilot plant. So imagine a production facility and we were running tests and we heard that the uh, vice president of R&D was walking through the building. Okay, so it was like, look alive, everybody. Right. Right. Right? So I was there working, doing my thing. And she came up to me and she said, Elizabeth, how is it going? I said, it's going well. And then I was picking some samples of a production line and she said to me, I pay you too much for you to be doing this. Where are the technicians? And I was so shocked. And I said to her, um, called her by name, and I said, um, you know what? I've really always wanted to, I enjoy what I'm doing, but I want to open up a food company in Tanzania one day. And um, I would love to be able to do that, but I need to learn how to lead people, Mm -hmm. right? And she looked at me and she said, we have been waiting for you to come to that realization. Wow. I, and I, I was so shocked. I was like, what? She goes, we thought you just wanted to be a scientist and an individual contributor. I said, no. And within a week, I was called into an office and told, okay, baptism by fire. My boss was a Christian. She goes, you're, you're getting what you asked for. I said, what did I ask for? <laughs> she said, you wanted to lead people, right? I was like, that was just like a flippant comment. <laughs> <laughs> but they must have seen something in you that... Yes, I did not see it. Yeah. Yes. So that was, I, I was, wow. you know, three, four years. And she said, the fact that she said, we have been waiting for you to come to this realization. I was like, well, okay. They saw it before you saw it, huh? Wow. Way, yes, they did. They did. So that was when, and they, in, and Kellogg's invested in its leaders and the leaders there invested in me mightily. I'm eternally grateful for what they did. Wow. wow. Great story. You know, mm-hmm. it, I, I'm increasingly aware of the complexities of leadership, uh, it, because of cultural factors, um, uh, contextual factors, which you mentioned, and, and then we have other factors um, such as um, d- gender and even how gender 
gets understood in different cultures or the role that it plays in different cultures. And I'm really curious what you've learned over the years about how what leadership looks like or how leadership development differs Mm -hmm. culturally or along gender lines. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very deep question. Speaking for myself, as I started to lead, you know, the irony of it is you can go to school, right, and all the way up to a PhD and become an expert in whatever, right? For me, grain science, serial chemistry. But nobody ever teaches you about leading people. Mm-hmm. It, it's in, individual contributors who do really well are the ones who get tapped on the shoulder and told, now go lead a team. And you're supposed to know how to do it. So one of the things that I learned early on in my career through really good mentorship with, with you know, the people who led me, particularly at Kellogg's, was one, play to your strengths, right? Understand your strengths and resource your weaknesses. It's kind of like telling a person who's right-handed, you are right-handed, now I want you to write with your left hand. You can't write with your left hand. But if you need to use your left hand, find somebody else who can use their left hand and partner with them. I like your phrasing, play play to your strengths and resource your weaknesses. Is that that how you said that? Yes, yes. Play to your strengths and resource your weaknesses. Uh, And it keeps you humble that way. The other part I, I learned was I'm a woman, I think in certain ways, also because of my cultural background, I think in certain ways, and I need to embrace that. I cannot be a man. If mm-hmm. I was supposed to be a man, God would have made me a man, mm. right? And we lead very differently. I think we as women, what I have seen and what I hope I practice, what my, I hope my people would say I practice, is more of a holistic approach, mm-hmm. right? I tend to ask people, have always asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is your dream? What are the things that energize you and get you go, you know, that you could do all day long and you you would lose track of time? And the reason I ask that is because I'm trying to understand their intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. Right? Because intrinsic motivation cannot be taught. It's intrinsic. Extrinsic is I can give you a bonus, I can give you a carrot or a stick, and you're gonna behave for a period, but you're gonna go back to what really motivates you. And the reason I ask that is because when Kellogg's showed interest in my what intrinsically motivated me, i.e., I want to build a food company in Tanzania, or I want to help women and uh, the poor in developing countries, and they're like, we'll do any, everything we can to give you the exposure, the experiences to help you develop what we, we believe might be skills, expertise that would help you achieve that. I was on. Mm. I was a hundred percent. I was like, I'll I'll go through the wall for you, mm. right? And so that's what I did with my teams. You say, what what's your dream? Because when I understand your dream, I can keep an eye open, my ears open when I'm in meetings. I think, I think Sue should be in that project or that project, not because of the obvious, but because I know what she really what really drives her. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like planting planting goals in the soil of our values, what we really care about. Yes. Exactly. I love that. Planting goals in the souls of our, absolutely. Because when you win, I think the, I think women, and I've, I've read some articles that, that would say this might be true, women really, because of our holistic approach to leadership, we try to win people's hearts and their souls. And when you win, a leader at Cargill told me, Elizabeth, if you win your team's hearts, they will go through walls for you, mm-hmm. right? Because it's beyond a paycheck exercise, right? You are, we are leading with the heart and not just leading with EQ, no, not, not just leading with IQ, but leading also with EQ, yeah. right? We are leading by understanding, you know, this leader comes to work, but they're a whole person. They have a family, 
they have children, they have relatives, there's life going on about them. And I think that's probably from my African context, right? Because when you meet an African, I would say a Tanzanian, I would say to you, you know, good morning, Dr. Payne. You'd say, good morning, Elizabeth. I'd ask you, literally it translates to, how did you wake up this morning? Hmm. Right? <laughs> and you would say, I woke up well. And then I would say, and how is your wife? And how are your children? Hmm. And if you told me that there was something going on in your family, I would, the greeting can last 30 minutes. My. Because I want to know how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so I think women have a propensity. I know I do leading from that space, right? Seeing the whole person and then inspiring people to do more, to be more, right? Because it's based on what, in, you know, finding the intersection between their personal values and the organizational values. Oh. I would love for you to maybe tell us a, a quick story or two about a, a, a leadership development experience perhaps that has really, that is profoundly shaped you as a developer of leaders or has been an eye-opening, uh, an eye-opener for you? What comes to mind, actually, early on, again, it was when I was at Kellogg's, um, my career, kind of two things are related. One, I had a boss, a wonderful lady, um, and she had this big laugh. And the minute she was in the building, because we had many different buildings, you could hear her. You knew she was in the building because her laugh, right? But she would mm-hmm. come up to me after, you know, we would leave the R&D building and walk over the street to the headquarter building to meet with marketing sales, et cetera. And we'd have meetings and we would come back and she'd laugh and then she'd come by my desk. We had an open cube system. She'd come by my desk and say, Elizabeth, hey, let's go chat for a few minutes. And so we go chat. And then she'd ask me, what do you think of that meeting? I'd tell her what I thought. And she said, well, let's see. So when you said this statement, how do you think it was received? I'm like, I think it was well received. She goes, really? I said, well, the, the president of sales looked a little bit green. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so she would take time to walk me through and say, okay, hmm. so what you said, your intent and your content are not the same, right? What you intended and what was received were not the same. Right. And I, it was very baffling for me because I was like, English is my second language, but I work really hard. I think I speak English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I learned early intent and content are not the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, OK, so let me give you a specific example in while I was work, reporting to her. I had an employee who was um, who had been passed around a great deal. Five years of Kellogg's, no promotion. That's a red flag. By the time he came to work with me. He was, I would spend hours and hours working, you know, going through all his project work with him. We had work we were doing in Mexico. So we were flying ingredients across the border, very expensive trials and, you know, et cetera. He made expensive mistakes. Hmm. I mean, very expensive mistakes to the point where I was, I had to tell my boss, I need to lay this person off. And I was shaking. Uh, I never, you know, nobody's prepared you for that. I need to lay this person off. Long story short, I put him through a performance improvement plan and I let the person go, right? And uh, I cried so much that day, I was shaking. Like, mm. you know, even my boss was like, I think someone needs to drive you home. I don't think you can drive home. Mm. Okay, why was that a pivotal moment for me as a leader? It was a pivotal moment for me as a leader because it showed me that I cannot, I, the phrase I, I created for myself is, I cannot kill with kindness. Right. 
this individual had operated for five years and everybody knew his faults, but nobody would call him out. And it got to a point where we had uh, FDA state requirements we needed to meet. So now we had no choice but to meet them and we were losing money. We were making mistakes, right? And so I realized that by the time he came to me, I was telling him, listen, I'm going to call him Tom. Tom, you've dropped, you know, we went through your plan. You didn't execute the plan. And this is the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard, and, and I learned then that with my staff, I need to be honest with them. I cannot kill mm-hmm. them with kindness by telling him, you're doing such a great job, you know, when you're not. Mm-hmm. So subsequent to that, I started talking to my staff and telling them, if I, I said, I, I said, if anything happened on a project that we were working on, and I heard chatter, right, that would lead my boss to say, Elizabeth, let's have a talk. How do you think that went, right? I started doing that with them and would say to my, my staff, here's the word on the street. Is it true or not? It's not true. Regardless, we need to manage that perception. Do you want to manage it? Mm-hmm. Do you want to stay put? and allow that perception or the facts to continue unchecked? Do you want to step up and I will step up with you to address them? Or do you want to step out, right? Mm -hmm. And stepping out means I don't want to do anything. It's not my fault. Let them, you know, they're wrong. Ultimately, it's going to affect your performance. And ultimately, you might find yourself being walked out the door. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would tell my team in situations, I say, you can stay put, do nothing, (laughs) step but their consequences, step up, own it, let's fix it together, or you can step out. Those are the three choices you have, we all have. And that was the po- time, that pivotal moment when I had to lay that person off, that, that really helped me understand the weight of leadership. Hmm. I was ta- uh, watching last night um, a professional basketball game and listening to an interview with the coach of the winning team afterwards, and um, he was talking about his philosophy of leadership, and he said, he said he tells his players same kind of thing. He said, "What well, I'm not trying to call you when I'm calling you out. I'm not trying to just call you out. I'm trying to call you up because I right. see what you're capable of, and so I'm trying to call you to that. And you know, trying to and his guys have all bought into that and realizing he wants the best for me. He wants the best for us for our team. Correct, and that's really hard for people to understand oftentimes because their 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 initial reaction is." Why are you against me? I had a lot of my team say to me, why are you against me? Mm. Why? And I said, I'm not. If I was against you, I would just fold my hands and just say, mm. let it roll. You know, let the, let the conversations go unchecked. And when it comes to end of year performance reviews, um, you're going to be on fire. And I'm just going to sit on the sideline and watch you burn. Yeah, which right? is apathy. That's not serving people well because that's that is not serving- uh, simply apathy, right? Exactly. It's apathy or it's protecting yourself, mm. right? Yeah. And, and, and the other part of leadership, I, I, and I believe this sincerely, is that um, there's a scripture somewhere in the Bible that talks about promotion is from above. We, yeah. we spend a lot of time talking about network, connect, and all this. I have seen it in my life. When God shuts a door, man, it's like he seals it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when he opens the door, it's open. Right. And so I believe promotion is from above one. So the, the re- responsibility I have is to the Lord. Second, we are asked to, to uh, steward his children. Whether we are in the secular world or we are in faith-based mm-hmm. organization, we are responsible for stewarding his children. So at the end of the day, my performance review is waiting for me in heaven. Yeah. 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 I remember Andy Stanley saying from a scripture story saying, you know, leadership is a stewardship. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit. Take your your you know speaking truth and honesty, and ask you as in your role as um, you know global leadership in Compassion International. What are you seeing as the most important challenges that the church needs to face today? You have a unique perspective on the global church. Um, and so what are some challenges that we might tend not to see? One of the perspectives that I think the church needs to embrace is the full gospel, mm-hmm. right? We have, we have, uh, explain embraced... what you mean by that because yeah. gospels become a loaded term. It has. And, and I'm not a theologian, so I, I'll tell you what, what that means to me. The full gospel in terms of the good news that God create, you know, when God created the earth, Right in the in the six days he created the world. Right on the seventh day he rested. He created many things, including man, and he called it good. And um, he has put us on this earth as stewards of his creation. And our responsibility is not just to get, as someone put it to me, fire insurance, mm-hmm. get saved so you can avoid hell and go to heaven. <laughs> and along the way, maybe lead a few more to Christ, and that's it. We we are called to. Do that for sure. We're called to share the gospel, but we are also called to be our brother's keepers. We're also called to take care of this garden hmm. that he has put us in. He created the garden first, did he yep. not? Yep. And then he put man in it. But we have we. I think the lo- the church, global church, needs to really pay attention. Go back to the creation story, and say, are we taking care of the full garden hmm. in the way the Master asked us to? Because that's our act of worship. Mm-hmm. And, and stewardship again, going back exactly. to that theme. Yeah. It's exactly, it's stewardship. The other piece I think that it's part of stewardship is the church, um, we need to lament. Mm. I've been listening to Dr. Ruth Padilla de Brost's work, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. We need to lament. Mm-hmm. We, are, we, are becoming, we are becoming increasingly indifferent mm. to one another. Mm. How can I say I love you? Like I told you, Dr. Payne, our greetings are, 30, are long. How can I say I love you when I do not know you? Hmm. How can I say I love you when Colorado, we have an epidemic of uh, suicides? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? And, and when it happens, are we really loving the families going through this or are we uncomfortable with their pain? And we move away. Mm-hmm. We don't do well with people's pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. I think the global church needs to lean into that lament of saying, I, you know, I will weep when you weep. I will laugh when you laugh. Do you have practical I, suggestions of how, like listeners, how how can we, how do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah, what does that start? Yeah, especially people in this culture. Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, um, I think in this culture, I have, I have three uh, teenage slash young adult, you know, high school into college. And I think that generation is more lonely. It's kind mm-hmm. of epitomizes what's going on, um, maybe in a more acute way. We are connected on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and all these things, but we are more disconnected than we ever were. Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty of that. Do we know our neighbors? Do we really know our neighbors? Mm-hmm. Do we know the colleagues we work with at work? Do we take the time to really know them and not judge them? Because many of us are so scared to let our guard down because if people really knew that my kids were misbehaving, what would they say about my parenting? Hmm. Right? If they knew that I was struggling with my faith right now because I can't I can't understand how a God who says he loves everybody can allow a pandemic to happen, especially in this day and age or whatever that might be in your life. We are so scared of being judged. 
that we are not honest. And I believe that the enemy triumphs because he divides and conquers. You know, there's a scripture in Revelation that talks about, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Mm-hmm. Are we willing? Are we willing to talk? Are we willing to be open and share what's going on in our lives with others around us? That's where the lament begins. You don't have to cross the oceans or think about somebody in another country. Just think about your next door neighbor. Do you really have you opened up to them? And in our our era right now, that's as much of an indictment to to the church intramurally whether yes. we're um, as divided as the church seems to be uh, increasingly, yes. Uh, yes. are we are we genuinely going to uh, to listen, as you said earlier, and yes. to, to love and to lament with each other yes. rather than divide from and, and point at yes. Uh, yes. and protest against in... each other within the body of Christ? Yes, yes, yeah. because yeah. it is very easy for us to point at the sins that are obvious, yeah. right? But... Would we like to have our life put on display, <laughs> the things that we can hide for right. the world to see, right? Right. So I think that, that, you know, in my mind, lament is what the church needs to. We need to fall on our face. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to the reverent awe of God, the God of the universe, and say he created this earth. He created those, those others, whatever the others might be. And what does he what does he have to say about that? What does he have to say about how we treat others? Hmm. Let's start there. I mean, yeah. I could list things about you know geopolitical instability, climate events, social justice issues, but it starts with our hearts, the condition of our individual yeah. hearts. Yeah. Elizabeth, thank you. This this has been rich, and I'm gonna gonna pay you a, a really high compliment in that. Um, I'm going to be listening to this again as if I were a listener. Yeah, I took notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's just been a, a rich gift. And wish we didn't have to, to close off, but you have given that's us okay. a, a sobering and really pertinent uh, collection of challenges that are I think are going to have far-reaching impact. So thank you for that. Thank you so very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Payne, um, and you too, Dr. Ward. Uh, folks, we've been interacting with Dr. Elizabeth Urio from... Uh, Compassion International. Let me remind you that you can find full transcripts of all of our podcast interviews on our website. Simply go to denverseminary.edu slash podcast. You'll see all of our episodes there and you can find the transcripts. And we'd love it. Uh, I don't plug this very often, but we really would uh, value you taking a little bit of time to give us a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to us and you can uh, give us some feedback some questions um, whatever feedback you'd like to give us by emailing us at podcast at denverseminary.edu so we hope you'll do that i uh, want to thank again uh, my co-host dr angie ward yeah for, uh, for being here what a great conversation so friends thanks again we hope to talk to you very soon on engage 360 here at denver seminary take care